Good day, everyone. You're listening to Time for Your Hobby, and this is episode 157. They look like ants from up here. I'm your host, Alex, and today I have the honor to have Dionysus as my guest on the show. How are you doing today? Hello, Alex. I'm uh, doing very well, and I'm glad to be here with you, and thank you for the invitation. Oh, the, the honor is all mine, and uh, today we're going to be talking about being a pilot. So he did not just fly all the way over here to have the interview. He's still back at home, so doing his thing, and we're just doing this over Skype. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> And today we're going to be talking about being a pilot. But before we do that, I'm sure the listeners would love to know who is Dionysus. Okay, yeah. So I'll tell you a little bit about myself. So uh, my name is Dionysus. Uh, I, I'm, I live in Greece, in Athens. And um, actually, I'm in computer science. I just graduated from my PhD and I work in cryptography. But um, as a hobby on on the side, on my free time, I fly small airplanes. So that's that's my hobby there. That's awesome. And you're not currently in a plane right now, right? I'm not. No, <laughs> I'm actually taking um taking a week off the, at this time at my uh, hometown in Greece where I grew up and uh, just uh, chilling and relaxing over here. A little bit more isolated than my usual place in Athens. And I feel like you're looking up at the skies a lot thinking, oh, wouldn't I want to be back up there? <laughs> That's right. And in Greece, we get a lot of beautiful clear blue skies, especially this time of the year. And it's uh, very, very exciting to look up there and, you know, imagine how one could fly through them. Well, imagine next time I have you on this podcast, well, you'll do the interview from your plane while flying. You'll be just, Alex, I can't talk to you right now. Ask the question in two minutes after I land. (laughs) Yeah, I hope I don't confuse you with the air traffic controller. (laughs) You know, I could just record that and make that the episode. Yeah. <laughs> so before we jump too far into the topic of being a pilot, do you have any social media links, websites or projects or absolutely anything at all that you would love to share so people can come check you out? Um, yeah, for sure. Although my personal websites are not related to my hobby, so there's very little you guys can find there. But uh, I do have personal, um, a personal Instagram, Facebook and a personal homepage that um, I will share with Alex and um, I think he can attach it to the podcast. Yeah, absolutely. I will attach it. And you can, you're more than welcome to share more things than just your hobby. This is your episode. You can talk about pilot, but you can share whatever you want regarding to social media. Absolutely. And I think uh, if you guys check out my Instagram, there is a few photos of me refueling a plane or doing a pre-flight check there. So that's interesting. But uh, I also have photos from, you know, around my academic life and my university and so on. So yeah, I'll be happy to share that. Perfect. And what's the name of your Instagram or the the handle or the correct? Well, I don't even know yeah, the term. Yeah, so the handle, <laughs> it's a little bit weird. I hope you can include it in the um, episode's description, but it's Dionysus. So it's D-I-O-N-Y-Z-I-Z. That's how I spell it. Perfect. You know what? I'll put that down below so people can go check it out and show you some love and you can just take them away on your journey. Sounds good. And I'll, I'll make sure after this episode, I upload more Um, more photos and posts related to aviation to my uh, Instagram. Yeah. You're going to make a lot of people jealous that they want, they're wishing that they're in the air right now. (laughs) (laughs) And now we're going to jump right into the topic of being a pilot. So how did you actually get introduced to flying planes? Okay. Yeah. So this was an idea I had when I was very young, around 12 years old, you know, as a little boy, I dreamed of this. And I'm sure a lot of little boys, you know, have various dreams, but this kind of idea that uh, one point in my life, I'd like to fly planes. Uh, this came came up in my little mind at this time and kept returning. And it was a kind of persistent thought I had throughout my childhood and my teenage years. Um, but I didn't get to do it until I, you know, I became a professional and saved up a sufficient amount of money to do my training. Um, so it took a while until this dream was realized. But 
yeah, basically I was I was curious about this idea as a little as a little boy. When I actually started picking it up for real was when one of my very close friends, uh, his name is Petros. He said to me, uh, "Do you trust me to take you on a surprise um, journey?" And I said, "Yeah." And and he said, "You know, I'm, I'm not going to tell you what it's going to be, but uh, you know, you should come along and don't plan anything on Sunday." So, what what he did was he um, contacted a local air club and um, he talked to an instructor who took us on a ride on a small plane. And um, you know, I was at the back and looking around. And that's when I, you know, the, the dream came back that, you know, I want to do that. That's very interesting. And that became kind of my, my, um, you know, my beginning of the addiction to fly <laughs> airplanes and actually do the training. Yeah. So that was due to, to my friend, uh, Petros, who, you know, had the insight to, to, um, get that ride for me. And actually the choice of school was very good. I then later realized that, that school was one of the best in, in the country in terms of safety and in terms of following procedures to the letter and so on. So I was very happy to uh, continue my training with them. So that's what I did. Do you, uh, so first of all, shout out to Petros for getting you into it. And now you're just loving it more and more. But do you, let's say, do you remember the feeling that you had when you were in the plane the first time, whether it was a plane that you flew or a plane you just got in? Do you remember that feeling you had? Was it nervousness? Was it uh, like excitement? What was that feeling? So when I was very young, my parents used to travel a lot um, and they used to take jobs from um, various cities and so on. Uh, and so we did travel quite a bit also for vacations. So I don't think I remember my first time because I was very young when I was first on a plane. But I do remember uh, like taking off and being very excited and smiling and feeling, you know, the, the seat of the pants and the back and, and the back of the seat as we took off to push against my back. And that was an exciting feeling to look look outside and see the see the ground disappear and then watch the plane go over the clouds and actually i do remember one fun thought you know one of these thoughts that kids have which is completely ridiculous when you grow up and one idea that i had and that that's not true but um that's what i believed when i was little was that when when you take off and you go from one city to another actually you fly to a different layer and the cities are layered in different yeah, different layers. So you, in order to go from one city to another, you have to fly to the next layer above or below. So you have to use a plane. There's no way to get there with a car. Um, so that's what that's a small impression that I had until I learned it, that it's one global earth. <laughs> you know what? I had something similar to that. So when I was a kid and you would go up into the clouds, I always thought I was it was really weird. Was, I didn't truly believe it. But I'm like, oh, why not? It's fun. I thought that you didn't really move. It's just people like move the city underneath you. So like everybody came in the same, oh. same spot and just like started building your city really, really quick. And that's how it looked <laughs> like. So instead of you actually moving, you just go up, people build things underneath you and then you just go down. Yeah, that's a fun thought. <laughs> I could see a movie being built around that concept. Ooh, you know what? And you would be the main actor. <laughs> yeah, like, so that's, yeah, that's my, like my first childhood experience in planes. That was quite exciting at the time and being there and flying. Yeah, and I think like, until now, uh, when I get into a plane, whether it's a commercial flight or, or my own flight, I'm always like quite amazed that we can do that as, as a humankind. It's quite an achievement. I don't think I'm ever bored, you know, at a takeoff. It's always very exciting. And have you ever, let's say when you're flying, have you ever done a time lapse of your trips? 
Um, so I've recorded um, I've recorded some of my training actually. Um, I have I think a small unlisted video on YouTube on or so, but um, it's only for for training purposes just to see you know how I behave if I'm nervous if there's something I'm doing wrong just to watch it later or just for revision you know to see exactly what what went wrong or what I did correctly. So that's what I do. Uh, but yeah, typically I just uh, enjoy the moment. I don't, uh, I don't typically record it. Usually I just fly, you know, alone or with a friend and, um, I take in the views and just, uh, chill and relax. Now it would be irresponsible of me to talk about planes without asking you what kind of planes do you prefer to fly and why? Right. So I fly the Cessna 172 and in particular the 172M. Um, that's one of the most reliable planes ever built. So it was designed and first built in the 60s from the knowledge that humankind gained from World War II. And um, it's, a, it's a very reliable plane. So it's a four-seater plane with a single engine, single propeller. It's a propeller plane. It, it has one propeller at the front, and it's a piston engine. Um, and it's a plane that's designed to basically um, fly itself. It has a very aerodynamic a very nice aerodynamic shape that is it is quite stable so when there is no significant weather or air blowing it tends to return to a good position even if you don't touch the controls so that makes it very comfortable and relaxing to fly like you don't need to do a lot of corrective actions and um, in case of an emergency it tends to um, it tends to lend itself quite easily to you know, corrective action. So that's really nice. It's it's a plane that um, uh, has many people have flown. And in fact, it's the most uh, produced plane um, ever in terms of um, number of pieces built. So yeah, those are some reasons. I think the, the reason, yeah, number one reason for that choice is really just um, how easy this plane is to fly and how comfortable it is and that it lends itself to Basically, it, it, yeah, under good condition, I under good conditions, I would say it flies itself. So it's quite a popular uh, plane for training. This is also where I did my training, and that's um, that's the plane I fly. Have you ever flown any other planes? And you're like, you know what? I do not like it. It's not my my own. It's kind of like a shoe. It's like you know, what? I like my shoe. I I made it my own. I know how every inch of it, every centimeter of it. This is the one you haven't really tried anything else. Um, so I've done, I've, I've uh, gone into a few other planes as a as a student with a with an uh, with a trainer, uh, with an instructor to show me around. But um, no, I have not flown on my own as a pilot in command any other uh, planes. Yeah. So actually, on that note, is there a plane that you would like to fly? Like you saw maybe a newer model, or you're like, you know what? I'm okay with the one I have. Stop asking that question, Alex. <laughs> yeah, so there's a few others. Actually, like one line of planes that uh, one brand that I like to, that I've seen around and I haven't flown is the Pipers. So Piper is a brand of airplanes that makes also small airplanes. So uh, also piston engine, single piston, single engine planes with um, both uh, high wing and low wing, as far as I know. And uh, those planes, they're, they look quite maneuverable and they're uh, really nice. So this is another plane that I'd like to try. And actually, with my current license, uh, I'm allowed to do that. So I'm looking forward to finding a club that um, has these planes. Yeah, I was actually looking around um, a club in Cyprus for this summer to go visit for about a week. And maybe I can try a different plane there. Um, and I was looking at the other planes and they do have a Piper. So yeah, that's a plane that I would be excited to try out. I, I think it would complement you know, my 
my experience uh, quite nicely. So anybody who's listening that would love to give uh, uh, a try for for him to just fly the planes, you know, you wouldn't say no, right? You, you mean taking them as a passenger? Yeah. yeah. yeah, yeah. So, <laughs> yeah. So what we do is typically, I mean, now with a COVID situation, there's a lot of restrictions, as you can imagine. But um, yeah, we do currently take a single passenger. If you're if you're um, if you're a pilot in my club, you can take a single passenger, and this is um, the directions from the health ministry in Greece. Normally, under normal circumstances, we would be able to take uh, three passengers, so four people. Uh, if you include the pilot in command, there is two seats at the front and then two seats at the back. But yeah, in current restrictions, there's only uh, only one passenger allowed, unfortunately. Uh, but I hope this will be lifted in the following uh, weeks. Well, this episode's coming out next year. So hopefully by that time, everything is clear, vaccines are out and all that. And then now you can have three passengers. Yeah, hopefully so. <laughs> and for you, where was the first place you flew after you obtained your license? Like you said in your mind, this is where I want to go. So I flew to some nearby airports when I began flying on my own. Um, so my my home airport, it's in Athens city, but it's not the main airport of Athens. So Athens has a main commercial airport called Venizelos, and this is where all the big flights uh, come in from abroad. But I do fly in a smaller airport um, towards the north of the city, which is called Tatoi, and it's, um, it's a half military base, uh, half general aviation airport. Um, so that's where I fly off from. And um, what I did when, when I first got my license was I said, you know, I want to visit some of the smaller air strips around the area. And um, one, well, I mean, the first the first airport that I landed in that was not my home airport was Megara. Um, that's a small airport also near Athens, but on the area of Pireus. So it's very near the sea. Another place I went to was uh, Skiathos. That's a small island, uh, very beautiful, on the north of uh, Athens. So it's part of a triplet of islands that are called the Sporades. Um, it's three three islands that are laid laid, laid next to each other. And um, yeah, one of them is Skiathos. It's one of the most beautiful ones. And I visit, I've visited it locally, you know, with a ship. It has a very nice marina, but I've also visited um, with a plane. And it's, it's a quite nice place to be in. And it's also one of the, you know, very convenient airports. It's, um, it's, it's easy to land in and it's nicely positioned. And typically the weather is quite good. Uh, and it's not too far from my home airport. So, yeah, that's one of my destination, destinations of choice. But I should say, like, most of my rides with the airplane... Uh, what I would do is I would take off from Tatoi, my home airport, and then I would have a trip plan, which would be something like sightseeing around the area. Um, there are some very nice landmarks around Athens. Um, so Athens has some quite nice beaches on the on the south. Uh, there is the uh, Saronic Gulf, which has a few islands. It's very near Athens, uh, and this is where the port of Athens, Piraeus, is on. And some of the nice islands that you can see there is Egina, and um, well, that's that's the central island of that gulf. Um, and then there's another gulf right next to it, further to the south, to the southwest, um, which is called Argolikos. And all of these are quite nice. They have beautiful waters, some deep blue or light blue waters. They're very clean, and then and then there's also mountainous areas around them. 
So you can see like both some mountains and some beaches and some seas. And because it's near Piraeus, you can see also a lot of cargo ships and tourist ships as you fly. So what I would typically do is I would take the plane, go, you know, for a sightseeing ride, maybe fly low over some interesting areas and then go back inland in Tatoi without ever, you know, without ever landing somewhere else. You know, it's an easy flight. It's it's very fun. Um, if you have a friend, um, you know, they can scout for nice, nice beaches to go visit uh, later. And they can also take nice photographs if, you know, if you're into that. Um, so, yeah, those sightseeing flights, I think, are the most fun. Because then, you know, in the evening, you can go back to, to the city and, you know, have drinks after your flight. And, um, you know, without, without being stranded in a smaller island. Uh, but yeah, another thing you can definitely do is take the plane and go for a weekend in a smaller island. That's also possible here. Uh, my personal preference is these, you know, nice sightseeing tours of the area. Well, this is actually a perfect segue to my following question because you're talking about sightseeing. This might be hard to answer, but what is the most interesting thing you saw while you're flying? So here's an interesting thing. Yeah. So what we did was, okay, so yeah, last summer, what happened in Greece was we had a lot of uh, fires and, you know, this happened all over the world. We had, you know, fires in Australia and so on. But last summer in Greece, there was some uh, fire situation uh, also quite around Athens. It was in the um, in the area to the north of Athens. We had some incidents and so on. So one interesting thing that happened was the fire department, um, they wanted to patrol the areas of um, important forests in, in around Athens and all over Greece. And typically what they would do is they would fly their own planes to look out for fires. Um, but um, what they did last year was they commissioned to us, like general aviation pilots, uh, private pilots. They said, um, you know, you cannot do any firefighting, obviously, but if you take take off during like dangerous days uh, and just, you know, do some scouting and look around for fires, that would be really useful. Yeah. So what we did was, you know, we typically like me and another pilot friend from the same club, we would take off and do a around three hour ride just patrolling the the mountainous areas with forests and we would look out for for fires and one of the nice things that they the fire department did was they paid for our fuel for that so that was also um very cheap for us to do to you know gain some experience in difficult weather windy weather and very hot in in an airplane that had uh fuel that was paid for by the fire department so i um during that time like um we went around areas that were quite smoky and they had the professional firefighters right into the smoke, you know, going around and bringing water and um, doing the extinguishing of the of the fires. And that was very interesting to see from uh, from a safe distance, let's say. So that's one of the most interesting things. Yeah, that is so cool because you get to have an, a unique experience. And also you're also helping out people that reduce the damage of the environment as well. And so when you are flying there, how do you, well, let's say you're looking out, you're scouting. How do you tag exactly where is the specific location? Do you give like a GPS or coordinates? Yeah. So what, what we do as pilots is we, on the, on the maps, we have certain marked points that are named. Um, and these are named after villages or after specific areas. Or if it's a, a point that is normally not of interest, it could be like a point in the middle of the sea. The, these are named by the, um, the air traffic controllers that essentially design the aviation maps. So these are called mandatory reporting points for pilots. If you fly through that point, you have to say, I'm there and give it a name. So if you want to report a fire, yeah, you definitely give 
you know, the name of that point, the closest you're in. Uh, but we, because we do visual navigation, typically we would um, have a good grasp of what the area is named and everything that is around us. So we would know the names of the villages. We would know the names of the mountains and the beaches and so on. So we could give a, a description like that. We could say, you know, one nautical mile north of village, so such and such. So that's a typical way we would give it. And then if they if they want um, a more more precise, you know, uh, location, we could definitely give um, GPS coordinates. But um, yeah, typically just a description like you know the name of a village or the name of a of a mountaintop is sufficient to just locate it. Now I know you like to just enjoy your time and not take pictures, but did you take a picture of let's say the smoke or the fires you saw just to keep it in your memory? Um, so when you are flying, you're not allowed to take pictures, but because we are two pilots, we can um, we can switch control and typically uh, you know would have each fly uh, we would each fly for about twenty minutes or so and then you know, give control to the other person. Um, and what we would do is each of us would scout and the other one would fly. Uh, and when you're scouting, you know, if there is nothing really interesting to report, you can take out your phone and take a nice picture. And yeah, I do have some um, some spooky pictures, I think, from from last summer that I can share with you. I would love to see that. And I'm sure the listeners now are super curious. They're going to take a pause on this episode, look at the picture and then come back. It's like, yeah, that's pretty cool. <laughs> okay, yeah, Alex, I will look them up and share them with you later. Perfect. And for you, what would you say is the best part about being a pilot on a personal and an emotional level? The way it helps me emotionally and personally is really that it's it's a way to realize that the problems in my everyday life are quite smaller than I think usually. So, as I said, you know, I just graduated from my PhD. That was a quite stressful experience. And um, sometimes, you know, I'm, I was quite um, deep into the mathematical problems that I would try to solve. I would wake up and go to bed thinking about them and work on them all day. And they seemed huge and insurmountable. But then, you know, over the weekend, I would go and fly my plane. And, um, you know, when you, when you take off and you're controlling a plane, uh, you don't really think about anything else. Just, just, you know, you're just there. You just think about the plane. You think about flying it you know, taking off and you think about all the scenarios that could go wrong and what you would do. You you take a look at your checklist, you you check your fuel, you know, every couple minutes, you check your oil, you you look around for uh, for the weather, if you see any weird clouds, you watch for traffic and you listen to the air traffic controller and so on. So so there's nothing else that you're thinking about when you're flying. It's just you and the airplane and the you know the surrounding environment. And then, you know, after this full concentrated hour of flying, um, I would land and then, you know, get back to the thoughts of my, my problems and my PhD and so on. But suddenly everything would seem kind of smaller, you know, and I would say it's, it's okay if I don't solve this problem. It's okay if it takes a little bit more time. Uh, because I, you know, I had, I enjoyed this hour that during which I was removed, far removed from any problems that I had in everyday life. So yeah, um, that's, that's one way that I, you know, I that's one way that I enjoy flying. It's it's that I can get to fully focus on this activity. It's one of these activities that you have to really give your heart and, and be there. Mm -hmm. In a way, it's a, a mechanism, a tool to help you escape from reality. And whenever you land back down, you figure out your problems and then you're like, you know what, I'll have a next trip and I'll just go relax again. It's kind of like meditation, I would imagine. It's quite meditative. Yeah. And um, actually, one of my favorite moments is if I'm alone on the plane, 
and it's the weather is calm and nice and up at a, at a high altitude um i can look at the sky uh, the sky and look at the water below in in the um sea and especially if it's like if it's it's the sunset hour and you can see the sun reflecting on the sea uh that's really quite a relaxing experience especially when there is no wind and you don't have to do any like uh, control actions on the plane you can take a couple seconds and you know just enjoy the view of the sea from above it's really calming man i can just picture it right now I, i'm not a pilot but i can just picture that feeling man you're just in the zone <laughs> yeah that's right and i can actually send you a picture of a quite a nice sunset that i have from above so yeah, maybe maybe I can share a few more pictures with you there. I could just picture for a second, like you want to keep that sunset forever, so you keep flying into the sunset, so you just keep it, so you go around the Earth constantly, just yeah. seeing the sunset. That'd be. I don't think that's possible to do it forever, but uh, yeah, that's just a an idea for the future. You can try. You yeah. can try for a few hours. <laughs> yeah, that's about it. Uh, and for you, or not just for you, but what are some misconceptions about people who are pilots? I guess it's like the cooler, the coolness factor. Like everybody would say, like if they haven't met a pilot, that every everybody who's a pilot is a really cool guy. You know, I think pilots are everyday guys. Um, there, it's quite a nice community. And another like misconception there is that you have to be a commercial pilot if you want to be a pilot. That's like a, a lot of people would think that, oh, you're a pilot, you must fly for an airliner or something. Um, and that's not true. Or, or you know, you oh, you fly small airplanes, so you must be on your way to learn to fly big planes. But this is not true for, for general aviation. I'd say a lot of people, they do it as a hobby. They fly very small airplanes and that's what they want to do. You know, we, we uh, at least for me, um, you know, maybe, maybe I'll try to fly bigger planes, but for now, what I what I enjoy is just being able to fly anywhere without having to report to anyone, without doing it as a job, um, you know, taking a detour sometimes. Um, that's, uh, yeah, that's something that, that's, I guess, I'm, a misconception is that pilots just fly, you know, for Delta Airlines or something. Um, but yeah, there's general aviation. And a lot of people, I'd say they don't know about the term general aviation, which concerns all the activity of aviation beyond commercial aviation in the sense of airliners or yeah or such so yeah there's a lot of us that do fly small airplanes just for fun or for transport as well uh, but without being airline pilots where do you see the future of let's say flying and pilots not just like commercial airlines but let's say for hobbyists such as yourself do you see uh, improvements in the planes being more efficient or being solar powered to a degree where you don't need fuel or anything like that. Mm. So currently, aviation is a is a is a is an area and an industry where progress is slow because uh, of safety concerns. So every technology has to be vetted. So I I'd say technology has to has to be tried um, a lot before it is adopted. And actually, in general aviation, a lot of our technology is very very old it's reliable so it's it's rarely changed for example like communications with air traffic controllers they're mostly analog voice communications right so you just speak uh, and they respond um there's newer technologies where they send digital messages over those communication channels but typically you know in general aviation you just speak or another example is the, the way that we navigate uh, we use technologies from almost like World War II. In fact, they were used in World War II and we still use them for navigation. 
For instance, there is a few technologies called VOR, NDB, ADF. All of these technologies are quite old. Um, they're similar to lighthouses. They're electromagnetic lighthouses that communicate with your instruments and that your instruments can just point to where the um, lighthouse essentially is, even though your eyes cannot see it. So this is quite old technology. Um, and we don't really need GPS to do our navigation, although we do use it if we want to. Um, in terms of like improving and um, getting to newer technologies, I see two trends that I will I, I, I think that uh, they will take place. One is the one that you mentioned that we will see some um, electrical planes and solar panel planes uh, getting adopted um, quite slowly. Uh, but they will that we will get there. I think this will start with like the the um, ultralight aircrafts that are like two seaters with uh, quite large area wings to be able to capture a lot of energy from the sun. Um, so that's uh, you know planes that fly very small distances. They do small tours and sightseeing and such. Um, by the way, the Cessna 172 is not an ultralight. It's slightly heavier that heavier than the ultralight so i i think those the electrical ones will uh, see adoption in the ultralight category first um but yeah over the years and with the improvement of battery weight and so on um definitely this will become part of commercial aviation eventually uh, the second the second aspect that i see is more automation so currently in commercial airliners a lot of the operations are automated so you know, even though the initial throttle forward for the takeoff must be done by the pilot, everything else can be automated. So even like the rotation of the plane for the takeoff, the cruising, the um, climbing, the descending, taking turns, and then approaching and um, flaring and landing and braking, all of these things can be automated and um, be performed by an autopilot if the weather permits and the the you know the situation is within the limits. Um, so the pilot is there today as a as a well someone to monitor these procedures and be able to intervene in case something goes wrong. So I think with the adoption of you know self-driving cars and autopilot and the Tesla cars, we will start seeing something similar in um, airplanes. So more automation, increased ability of the airplane to take decisions and handle emergencies on its own without relying on a human pilot. So that's the trend that I see. I predict will happen in you know in the far future, although not immediately. And another thing that uh, I think airline traffic. Or airliners will look into because it will become you know more economical, more financially sustainable. Is I think the ability of pilots to be able to control a plane from the ground um, or intervene from the from the ground, so have some so, some sort of remote controlling ability at least for for an engineer you know on the ground to be able to monitor these systems remotely and be able to intervene. Um, so you know instead of having multiple pilots on board, you know someone could be on the ground and be monitoring several planes and their system. So that's some technology that um, would be interesting to see. And it would definitely allow um, airliners to cut costs and even uh, increase safety uh, if it's done correctly. Actually, speaking of safety, uh, uh, you can correct me if I'm wrong, but would it be smart to add, let's say, a parachute on the actual body of the plane if anything were to go wrong? Yeah, so these planes are actually designed to be able to fly even without an engine. Um, so they're they're quite safe as they are. I think adding a parachute would 
interfere with their ability to fly. They're flying machines as they are, like in terms of their shape, they're designed to be able to fly. If you just drop one of these in the air without any fuel, it will be still able to, you know, glide down very safely and land in a field. So these are already designed to be able to safely make it to the ground. And this is true for any plane, like, you know, from the smallest Cessna 172 trainer, uh, training aircraft, or even an ultralight aircraft to the largest Airbus or Boeing. If they lose their engines, they should be able to glide down to safety. So they're flying machines that um, have a shape that is designed to keep them flying even without any power. So in case anything goes wrong, this is already the case. This is a quite safe machine. I think like that's another misconception that people think, you know, if you lose your engine, you're just going to drop like a, you know, like a fruit from the sky, like an apple from a tree. But that's not the case. This is this is a, a machine that is aerodynamically designed to keep flying and and be able to glide and the pilots can still control it even if you know everything goes wrong in terms of the engine you can lose your fuel you can use your oil but this thing can still you know glide down to safe safety of course you know you have a certain time during which you can fly it if you don't have fuel um so you have to navigate quickly and think proactively um but you know there's always thought around the um you know, the question of where, where are you going to land if something goes wrong? What is the closest airport where you can uh, glide into? So, yeah, I don't think a parachute will be necessary. Yeah. Whoever asked that question was stupid. God, I wouldn't want to be that guy who asked that question. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, it's good to know. It's important that people understand and especially people like me who are idiots asking stupid questions like that. But it's good now. Now I know that they are a lot better and they're better equipped. And I would imagine like you're saying that you have you have to think on your feet really quick. If something were to happen, you have to figure out the answer as soon as possible. And, and that saves you a lot more time. So this is a weird segue. But let's say on that note, what has being a pilot taught you in life? So yeah, you're right. You have to like think proactively and th think on your feet. One of the things that you do is whenever you're about to take an action, um, for example, like before takeoff, one thing you would typically do is just, you know, quickly go through the emergency scenario in your head. Like, oh, you know, I'm about to take off before I press any buttons. What am I going to do in case, you know, I hear the engine doing something weird? What are exactly the motions that I will do to stop the airplane and evacuate? You know, so you just go through that checklist in your head and you say, you know, one, two, three, I take off, the, you know, the mixture lever and so on, uh, press the brakes, etc. right? So you, you just rehearse that in your head, and then you're ready to take off. And that's something that you do quite often, or as you fly, you know, um, when you are about to cross the sea, let's say, um, what you do is you do a quick check of the fuel, the oil pressure, the oil temperature, you check everything looks right. And then, you know, you look, you make a mental note of where is the closest airstrip or the closest, you know, field where you can land in case of emergency. And, um, you know, that's it. And then um, you are ready to cross the sea. So this is something that pilots just do basically automatically in their head. You know, whenever you're about to do some action, you practically think of, you know, what is going to do, what, what could go wrong and what should I do in, in case something goes wrong. So because you've thought about it, um, it's easy to take that action if you see anything that is, um, you know, that is wrong. Um, in terms of what being a pilot has taught me in real life, I guess one of these uh, one of the, the things that it has taught me is to monitor monitor myself just to see that I'm okay when I'm doing something that could be you know stressful. So in the same way that 
if you're on a plane, you monitor it and see that everything is okay. And you multitask, you know, as you fly and as you press the throttle in to climb or um, as you check the weather, you also multitask and you look at your fuel, you look at your oil levels and so on. So you always say, you know, let's check that I'm okay right now. And uh, I guess I'm applying this to myself a little bit better. So, um, you know, whenever I'm in my job, when I'm, you know, fully very stressed, um, I, I will be monitoring myself in that manner and say, you know, I'm, I'm stressed right now. I can recognize this and I can say I, I need a break right now instead of pushing myself to work more and more and more. Um, so I guess this is like the, the multitasking in which you, you put a monitoring task and uh, you take responsibility as pilot in command to, you know, take the right action. And, you know, sometimes you push yourself when you when you work. Sometimes you have to take a break if you recognize that you're stressed. So I'd say, you know, it's it's this monitoring process where I recognize my own situation every time, you know, to see that I'm okay in the same way that I would check um, the plane's um, the plane status just to make sure that it's all right. Now, the same topic of talking about stress, it seems like sometimes things can be a little stressful and then you figure out a way. But has it, uh, you, if you don't mind me asking, has it ever happened to you that there's like a serious situation that happened and it took you a little longer to try to figure out what it was while you were flying? Yeah, definitely. So there's there's a few situations, especially like during training without any passengers that I would do something slightly wrong. Uh, fortunately, there hasn't been any like very serious uh, thing. But I do remember during my first uh, solo navigation flights, which is the flight where you fly on your own uh, with the approval from your instructor, but without a license. So you still don't have a passenger, but you have your instructor monitoring you from the ground. Uh, I do remember, for example, like, missing one of my navigation points and um, you know continuing for another minute towards the direction i i was going and then realizing that oh you know where is that where is that little town that i was looking for and you know and becoming a little bit lost and doing an orbit around uh around the area and then asking the controller you know um can i go back to where i was is, is this okay to you know re-enter the previous airspace and they would ask you know where are you and things like that you know so it's like you know, messing up navigation a little bit, um, just making sure you are where you are, using your compass and your watch to do correct navigation. Sometimes, you know, as you train, you can um, get things wrong. Um, other things like other things that would be somewhat stressful is when I took off with weather that is quite turbulent. So I would look at the weather report and it would say it's quite turbulent. It's within the legal limits, but maybe sometimes it would be above my personal limits and I would overestimate my abilities. And then, you know, in the air, it would be, um, you know, moving the plane quite a bit and then I'd have to control it and it would um, be quite tiring and I would get nauseous and I would have to go back and land. So those situations are quite stressful. Uh, fortunately, um, all of these situations are typically without passengers because, you know, when you see weather that is you know, close to your limits, uh, you don't want to take any people with you. You want to, you know, try on your own, do a couple exercises there maybe. Uh, you know, fly around, be able to go back without um, having to uh, ask anyone if that's okay. So yeah, like with with passengers, my limits are even like safer, I would say. For me, usually I'm super calm on a plane. I'm relaxed. I like it. One time I remember there was a lot of turbulence and I'm like, oh, it's fine. And then I look to my right and I see the flight attendant holding the seat with her face panicking. And I'm like, well, if she's panicking, <laughs> I'll, I'll, I'll remain calm. But 
that is not that is not reassuring. <laughs> nah, that's right. Yeah. Oh, I think flight attendants have seen a lot of a lot of things. Uh, yeah. If she was panicking, then uh, it must have been very turbulent. Yeah. But yeah, the the times where we were in most of the turbulence were really like those summers where we do the far patrolling thing because those are exactly the days uh, that it's most dangerous. It has a lot of wind. Um, they're very hot days, and it, it's very turbulent. So typically, you would not see any general aviation flights beyond these fire patrolling, because if it's so turbulent, you know, it's it stops becoming fun after, you know, two hours of flying and be going up and down left and right and having your wind uh, throw you off your path. And I'm sure this is like through experience that you learned this. So for you, what was your biggest challenge when you first started flying? Um, I guess it was... The first solo flight that I, I had to fly on my own, this is the biggest, maybe one of the biggest challenge for every pilot is, you know, when you're you're doing takeoffs and landings, you train on your emergencies with your instructor and so on. And at some point your instructor says, you know, I'm going to walk out and now you take it off. <laughs> and um, I mean, you're prepared for that moment. You have done all the emergency, um, you know, written tests and theory and you know how to handle it, but still you know, when you're on that runway and you have received the takeoff clearance and um, you're about to push in the throttle to take off on your own, I think that's like the, the challenge and doing your first landing without your instructor next to you, even though you've done it, you know, dozens of times without his interference, interference, he's not there anymore and you have to do everything on your own. And even though it's, you know, just a 10 minute flight, um, if something goes wrong, you have to uh, be able to handle it on your own. So that's like the most stressful and uh, challenging situation, I think, is the first solo. It's not the best comparison, but I would say it's kind of like when you start to learn how to ride the bike, your parent is holding the bike and then you're like, okay, you have me, you have me. But then they let go. He's like, okay, if I do something bad, then it's on <laughs> me. I have to learn how to control myself. <laughs> yeah, I guess it's quite similar to that feeling. But instead of being on the ground with a bike, it's with a lot of metal in the air. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> and for you, what is your current biggest challenge? So uh, one thing that I would like to do right now, and I've uh, completed some of the theoretical studying for it, but I want to continue in doing the practical part, is to learn to fly at night. So that's uh, an extra addition to my uh, current license. It's an, a small endorsement that your instructor gives you to your license that allows you to fly at night. So, yeah, I'm um, hoping to do it be before the end of the summer. One of the difficult things, uh, it's, it's just the logistics that you have to arrange to, you know, you have to arrange with your instructor a full something like three-day training where you go to some small island, you sleep there, and then, you, you know, the next day you, um, you take off at night and then you travel at night and so on. So you have to take up, you know, one or two nights of your instructor's time and um, yeah, there's the, the challenge there is that navigation becomes much more difficult. Uh, you have to navigate with just city lights and you know um, mountaintops in uh, the moonlight and so on. So um, and you know instruments as well. But um, it's not very it's not as easy as when you navigate during the day where you can see every little detail of the landscapes, uh, like rivers and little villages and so on. What makes it super easy. Uh, at night, it, it becomes a little bit more difficult, and this is something I'd like to be able to do. Um, I don't, I don't plan to fly much at night, but I think like having that ability will allow me to become a better navigator during the day and uh, be able to be safer in my, you know, everyday trips during the day as well. 
So that's the goal there. Well, I'm hoping the best for you to achieve that goal. And I know you've seen many sunsets while you're flying during the day evenings. Would you also like to see a sunrise if you haven't seen one? That would be beautiful. That would be beautiful. I haven't. Yeah, I'm currently allowed to take off after sunrise and to land. I have to land before uh, sunset. So I haven't had the chance to see the, the sunrise. But yeah, hopefully if we take off at night, we will be able to see the sunrise as we um, approach an airport. Well, you know what? Maybe after this episode, you're like, you know what? I'm going to go study. I'm going to just go do it. And then by the time this episode <laughs> comes out, he's like, yeah, I'm there. I got it. And you, I'll see some pictures yeah. at night. <laughs> Hopefully, like by the end of August, this will be um, done if everything goes uh, goes well. So yeah. Uh, hopefully when this episode is out, um, I'll be able to say that. Now, for the people who are interested in this hobby, do you have any word of advice for them? Um, so I'd say if you're interested, um, just find a local air club wherever your area is. If you're in the U.S., there's a lot of smaller airstrips beyond the bigger ones. Uh, maybe you don't even know that there is a small airstrip near your near the place you live. Um, if you're in Europe, it's the same. Uh, it's not it's, it's not as many airstrips as in the U.S., but um, there's quite a few. And um, there's a lot of air clubs that, well, there's some schools that are for profit, but there's also air clubs that are profit where you can rent a plane for quite cheap. You rent at cost. Um, you just pay for the rental and the fuel and some maintenance costs. So it's uh, quite affordable. And I'd say in, if you're considering it, then uh, find an instructor and tell them to take you on a on a trial flight. Um, you can do one hour, a one-hour flight. You can sit at the pilot seat and have your instructor sit at the co-pilot seat. And then you can even take, you know, take the joystick, uh, take the stick or, um, for a few minutes and fly the airplane around. And uh, you can see if you like it. So one piece of advice there is, you know, you don't have to plan your whole, your whole training before you do one of these uh, flights with an instructor to see if you like it. But if you do that flight where you see if you like it, I'm pretty sure you will decide that you want to go ahead. It's quite addicting. And um, yeah, it's quite fun. And, you know, for me, that flight sealed the deal and I decided to do it. It took me a little bit of time. But yeah. So I'd say, yeah, just take that uh, first flight, see if you like it. And then um, if you want to take the decision to do the full training, you can go ahead. Um, and again, you know, you don't have to go into a full commercial pilot career. Uh, you can get your private pilot's license without going into the profession and it's still fun to do it over the weekends and fly with your friends do sightseeing tours and so on so you know you can consider that if you if you don't want to follow the full career you can still consider it as a hub you know what um so i'm from canada and uh, from ottawa ontario the national capital of canada and there's actually a aviation museum really close to my place and when oh, wow. i was a kid i used to go there for summer camps and the last like day Everybody got to go in a plane and fly, and it was really cool. Wow. And I was like, I, I went a few summers a few times because it was really fun. I tried, and this sounds weird, but I was more worried in when the cockpit was closed compared to the plane where the cockpit was open. Mm. Yeah, I, was, I felt more free, and it was really a cool experience, but I just... Yeah, I really did enjoy it. Sorry, I'm going off of what my experience is, but we're going to finish off with you first and then you can I can ask you to ask me a stupid question. <laughs> so do you have any, I've asked this at the beginning of the episode, but do you have any social media links, websites or projects or anything at all that you would love to share? It can be related to being a pilot or it can be related to absolutely anything at all. 
Yeah, I'll share with you my, uh, as I said, my Instagram and my personal homepage that you can um, send to the um, audience here. Um, most of its stuff is not related to aviation, but I will make sure I post some nice pictures there. And <laughs> yeah, I think that's uh, what I want to share with you. Okay, perfect. I'll put all those down below so people can go check it out and watch you fly away in your journey or watch you do your other stuff as your journey. Perfect. Sounds very good, Alex. And now for the last question, the one I was telling you about, the stupid one. Not because you're going to ask it. Either way, let me just clear myself up. Do you have any questions for me about flying? The stupid part will be my answer. That's that's for sure. You're going to have a smart answer, a smart question. I'm just going to have a stupid answer. <laughs> well, what I wanted to ask you is like, would you consider doing that, you know, first flight with an instructor for the hour that I recommended? Would would that something be, uh, would that be something that, you know, you would consider for yourself? Yeah, I, I've driven a car before. I used to be a captain on a boat. Nice. I'm not saying, oh, yeah, it's the same thing. No, it's definitely not the same thing. Uh, but uh, it's I like learning how to operate new things. And mm. with the right teacher there, I, would, I wouldn't mind. I'd, I'd be super nervous, of course. But I'm sure the person beside me would be really calm. It's kind of like when a parent is teaching their child how to drive. Sometimes it can get a little nerve wracking. But I feel like there's a lot less traffic in the air than there is on the street. I know there's yes. a lot, but I mean, a lot less. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure there's a there is a smaller airstrip and an air club near where you live where you can find a nice instructor to teach you and maybe do the first hour with you. So in other words, what uh, what you're saying is that if somebody would like to take a risk with me, it's like, okay, you good? Yeah, 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 I'm good, I'm good. Okay. <laughs> So yeah, there you have it. Another body with a hobby. Thank you so much, Dionysus, for just coming on and just sharing your hobby with the world. I really do appreciate it. And you have such a calm voice that it just makes it sound like how you fly your plane. You're very calm, composed as well. Thank you, Alex, for inviting me. It was a beautiful discussion with you. I was uh, glad to share these, um, you know, this hobby with you guys. And I hope I uh, inspired some of the listeners to try it out themselves. And hopefully we can get some uh, new private pilots out of that. If you guys want to learn more about Dionysus, you can go check him out. I'll put all the links down below. So it'll be very easy to find. And you can just show him some love. You have to. He's a wonderful, wonderful person and very kind. He's He just spent all this time. He could have done something else today, but he spent this time talking to me. So I'm very grateful. So go show him some support. And if you'd like to be on my podcast or have any questions at all, you could send me an email at timeforyourhobby at gmail.com. And of course, if you like the podcast, you can leave a review, good or bad. It can be on Apple Podcasts, Podchaser. You can even have like the smoke on the back of your plane, write out a review in the air. <laughs> I'm kidding. Don't do that. <laughs> it be a very short review. Okay. <laughs> and if you'd like to show some more support, uh, I also sell merchandise on Redbubble with the Time for Your Hobby logo on things you do not need. Maybe there'll be a logo you can put on your plane. I'm, I'm kidding. You don't want to do that. But also, if you want to show some even more support, I also have a Patreon, which will be down below in the description if you are interested in giving some more support. But you know what you do have to do? You do have to go show Dionys Dionysus some support and some love. So once again, thank you so much. Thank you for having me, Alex, once again, and have a great day, everyone. So until the next episode, make some time for your hobby. Take care. <laughs>